From the Conquer Risk podcast, this is the Proust Questionnaire with Denise Scholl. Welcome to the Conquer Risk podcast. I'm Christopher Norton. I have grown up around audio and video production basically my entire life. The first time I was live on air to an audience, I was four years old. So the idea of being nervous hasn't really been a thing for me because this is just something that I do. And then there's today. (laughs) That's not coffee. My guest is an author, a coach, a speaker. I'm going to run out of fingers, a business owner, uh, a CEO, fictional characters are based off of her. So I am thrilled and frankly, a little surprised that I get to welcome Denise Scholl to the podcast. Denise, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thanks for asking me. So sweet. I, there are, there are so many things about your life that we could discuss, that we could explore, that I would love to know selfishly. Uh, But since this is our Proust questionnaire podcast, where I get to ask people whom I admire and have never met before, really personal questions, I think a fun place to start would be, of all of the things that you have done, what to you is your single greatest accomplishment? Mm. Probably writing a book. Because, Mm. you know, you look at these things on your bookshelf and, you know, they've got lots of pages, but, you know, and then someone hires you to do it and, you know, they tell you they need some, I can't remember, 80,000 words or something. Now, the precursor, someone who struggles to get out a blog post, I just, I, I, my mind melts. The precursor to that, I think when I actually felt it more was when I went to graduate school and they told me, you know, I had to take these two research classes, some other credit classes, and then I had to write a research thesis of, I think it was 50,000 words. I don't remember. It was probably less than that. And I was sort of like, how could anybody write that many words about anything? So I then I did, and then it wasn't that bad. But I think, I mean, I have so many things that I feel like even just going to graduate school, but I think I'd have to go with actually getting a book out into the universe with my name on it. I I I can imagine because I can't I can't imagine going through that process. I think secretly somewhere in the back of my mind that's always been a dream of mine to write a marketing book. Um, There's this experience that I feel like you can relate to where when I was in the agency side of my days, every time I would go to meet with an advisor, they would start off by telling me how this was going to go and how the process was going to work while I built their brand for them. And I was like, okay, yeah. Sort of like the call I just got off of. (laughs) More Parents of a potential Olympian telling me how we were going to do sports psychology. I'm like, Yeah, like, well, then why'd you call? Not to be rude or anything. This is a good segue into my next question, um, which I love to ask people. And that's, what is it that you most dislike? 
that I most dislike. Dishonesty. Mm. 100%. In no uncertain terms. Yeah. Like, you know, that isn't to say that I think everybody should be like rudely blunt, right? <laughs> but, and, and if I were to refine it, I'd say dishonesty with oneself. Oh. You know. I, I knew that there would be a lot of insight <laughs> from you today, but that is very well said. Yeah. Yeah. We're all guilty of that probably at some point. To very and we're maybe more dishonest with ourselves about how often we're dishonest with ourselves. To greater or lesser degrees. Um, yeah. And also it varies over time, you know, like you're in an argument. Like I might be in an argument with Bill, my husband, and, you know, I think he's completely wrong. And I realize the next day or a few days later that actually, no, he wasn't completely wrong. <laughs> Damn it, anyhow, but. Um, I was like, that is the worst place to be on, on either side where where you've accused your partner and then you're like, ah, damn it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also being that person and you're like, ah, what? <laughs> but I was right. <laughs> yeah, I'll refrain from segueing into what's really happening there in psychological, from psychological point of view. Fair enough. Um, well, more cheerfully, when and where are you happiest? Oh my God. Without a shadow of a doubt on a very steep, typically black groomed ski trail that's had new snow, lots of new snow in the past few days. And now the sun is gloriously out and it's like 30 degrees. I love that. I have a torn ACL to prove how much I love it. Oh. Uh, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It is something to behold i've upended my life to uh have more of that more than once <laughs> that's outstanding mm -hmm. you you do you live in multiple locations now right Is well that, we live in sun valley idaho okay um but we're on our way to park city utah for a permanent okay. residence so because nice. we travel we visit down there a lot i'm now saying kind of for the summer we're living in both places that's fair. Park City. And I hope I like it right? when we get there. Park <laughs> City. There's there's not much to dislike about Park City, in my humble opinion. Much bigger mountain than Sun Valley. Much. And much more much. snow. Well, I, we're on the right path for this one. Um, what is your greatest extravagance? <laughs> Honestly. We have been trying to figure out where we were going to live and we were down there. We couldn't find anywhere here and I didn't like the snow and the mountain that much. And we went down to Park City and um, last around Labor Day and we ended up in the car of a real estate agent literally because our car had broken down and had to be towed. And so we didn't have anything better to do. And she was on her way to show us a, a house that they were building in the development. And she said, oh, that lot's for sale. I'm like, wait, what? Back up. And within 24 hours, we'd given her money. And now we're in the process of hopefully building our dream home. And I'm just going for it. 
I love it. Like pool with a retractable roof. Like so I can have it in the winter, even in Park City. Yeah, heated so you can pull the roof off and go out when it's. Mm-hmm. I I've not done a pool, but I have done a hot tub while it's snowing. Yeah, and totally. there is. Yeah, there is something uniquely beautiful about that experience. So much. I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and believe it or not, we do have small hills, and that's where I learned to ski. And my family didn't ski, but I had friends at high school that would ski, and they would go out west, and they'd come back, and they'd have pictures of sitting in the hot tub in the snow. And I would be like, what? <laughs> you go outside in your bathing suit in the snowstorm? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and now, like, you know, if I'm checking hotels or whatnot, the first thing I'm looking for is, like, what's the hot tub situation? Yeah, what's, what's the hot tub situation? <laughs> Yeah. That's outstanding. Um, so that house is in the process of becoming <laughs> my greatest extravagance. That's fair. Our, uh, our, the head of our education team uh, is building a house right now. And his timeline, just because of supply chain issues and all the things, feels like it's forever. Are you having a similar experience? Yeah, we decided that, I mean, we just, like, I mean, we literally brought the property on a whim. I mean, we had done a lot of looking over the pandemic and here. And so sure. we, we, it was one of those cases where we knew it when we saw it, but it was still like a whim in the moment. The second thing we said is we're in no hurry. Smart. Like, so we have an architect, we're on kind of round three of refining what we want. Like, we think we'll break ground next spring and be in by the fall of 24. But if we're not, we're not. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. Well, switching gears a bit, kind of going back to the accomplishment thing, hmm. but for all the all the things that you've done, what's a talent that you wish you had that you don't feel that you do? Singing. Okay. Uh, I have essentially no musical talent. Same, unfortunately. And I love music. I actually... A former boyfriend in Chicago, who's also the one who got me in the trading, he was a floor trader. He forbade me, is that the right word? To sing in the car. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I just, it's, you know, and I took piano and organ and tried to do all these musical things when I was like, you know, in grade school and junior high. It's literally just give it up. I mean, I don't, my life's probably not really lacking because I can't sing, but you know, if you just gave me a menu of things, I'd be like, sing. That'd be the first thing you would pick. I, my mother, when I was a child, tried to teach me piano and I was not having it. I was a dorky little 80s kid who wanted to play Nintendo and skateboard and learning piano was not on my list. And finally she gave up and she was like, fine, but you know what? When you're an adult, you're going to wish you knew how to play piano. And do you know what I wish more than anything? That you knew how to that play, I knew how to play yeah. piano. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think that seems so far beyond me that like maybe in some universe I could sing. I don't think there's a universe in which I could play the piano. <laughs> I trot that story out often with my own son when I try to get him to do something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like uh, I'm running out of time on that one, but I'm going to keep using it as long as I can. Yeah. So, if music is something you wish you did have, 
what do you think is your most marked characteristic? The ability to think clearly, to like look at basically any situation and understand the factors that are contributing to it and like how they relate to each other and which the which are the high leverage ones and which ones don't matter. Um, I mean, people would say things like, I'm a good public speaker, but sure. that's not, I mean, a lot of people are good public speakers and I'm by far not the best. Um, but that seems to be something I was more or less born with. And then, you know, obviously I have education, business education, education, psychoanalysis, education, and neuroscience that just to give me more fodder sure. to understand. But I also think um, that's actually why the Rethink Group in this coaching business has become what it's become. Because while we're known in investing and trading, I mean, like I have clients in entertainment and art and business. And when I'm trying to teach my team, I'm like, look, we're just like sitting back and thinking about this person's situation and seeing the factors that they probably don't see, or they don't see them in the same way, or they think, you know, these two are the important ones when really those don't matter, you know, when these matter, or they see themselves in some sort of self-critical way, which isn't accurate. So I think that's it. And like when well, I mean, you taught us a lesson right there, right? You recognized this natural ability in yourself. You chose to develop it through education, and now you've built a career and a business around it. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, an example is when I went to graduate school, like gave up selling computers in the business world because God, who wants to sell computers when they're 40 years old? <laughs> um and you had to do this research paper and they said, you know, pick a topic, pick any topic. Well, I knew that there was a tendency of human beings to get themselves in repetitive situations. And I knew that Freud called it the compulsion to repeat. So I said to myself and to my advisors who were kind of shocked, well, then it, there has to be a template in here. And people would look at me like, and I'd be like, look, People are perceiving situations and um, behave, you know, making choices or, or expecting to be rejected, let's just say. And then they're behaving like that. Like that thing isn't out here past your fingertips. It's got to be in here. Like it can't be anywhere else. And, you know, that turned out to be, as the Society for Neuroeconomics presidents once said, one of the first papers in neuropsychoanalysis. But it literally was me just looking at the situation. People have consistent personalities. They get themselves in consistent situations. They tend to behave in the same way. You know, they expect to be rejected. They don't expect to be rejected. You know, they take things personally. They don't like whatever. There has to be a template somewhere and it's not outside of them. How could it be? I don't want to go too far off topic, but I do uh-huh. want to ask one follow-up question, which is, <clears throat> and I think I know what your answer will be, but. How much do you think people can change that over the course of their life? Mm. I, a shocking amount. And the reason why is because the world's had the wrong view of perception, judgment, conscious, unconscious emotion. And when you get the right view, 
which is like the cutting edge of neuroscience, which is you're always predicting and you're always predicting a future feeling and you're doing it on your past experience. When you start to work with yourself in that model, your range of choices expands. And when you work with yourself in the old model, which is like telling yourself to do the right thing, you know, whatever, be disciplined, be positive, whatever. It really fights that fundamental sun rises in the east of perception and judgment. And that's why it's only moderately effective, if that. Interesting. It's getting that ability. Like in some situation, it's aggravating. You're having a set of feelings you've had before. And your default is to, you know, expect your boss won't listen to you, whatever. But if you delve into like why you expect that and what the feelings are that you expect to get, you like kind of miraculously get more ability to react in a different way. Because you're, you're just, you're literally back to thinking, you're dealing with reality. You're dealing with what's actually happening. So particularly given your perception of people and how they behave and what they do, what do you value most in your friends? <laughs> honesty. Um, honesty with themselves. <laughs> you know, um, like I don't care what someone's foibles or liabilities are. I care that they're being truthful about dealing with them. Or, you know, they screw up. They do something hurtful. That they just be accurate about it and like take ownership of their part and apologize for the part that's their part. And, and I mean, that does segue into also understanding, but it's understanding of the situation. It, you know, I guess I value the thing I try to do the most is accurately understand the situation. But that requires honesty. Most things do, as it turns out. Most things that lead anywhere good. Right. I mean, it didn't say, isn't, I'm not saying everybody that you just have to like blurt out things that you think. That's a whole different we tend to do that here at Potomac. It's pretty much nothing but blunt honesty. And when Martina comes back here at the end, I think she will uh, confirm that because <laughs> it's pretty much just, it's just who we are. It's just mm -hmm. sort of how, what happened. Um, this next question may be superficial, but it doesn't stop me from loving asking it anyway. What word or phrases do you most overuse? Emotions is information. Um, I mean, the advice I give, what am I feeling and why? Uh, I think, I mean, there's probably some colloquial, casual something I say that I'm not fully aware of. <laughs> um, well, it's a significantly deeper list than my own, which would be like saying something's outstanding or... <laughs> Asking the question, really, mm, be mm. two of my most common phrases. Not quite as deep. Well, you know, it's, I mean, I spend my life navigating language, right? Like I talk to people mostly on the phone. And so I'm listening really carefully 
I'm analyzing their language. I'm thinking how to phrase something. So, I mean, I'm sure like I say like, you know, like, like you sort of casually, whatever that. Sure. And well, I'm sure, I'm sure there's an answer that I'm not aware of. You know, it is, it, that is a very interesting point because it's, it's one of those questions that you wish you could ask the person you're interviewing, they're the closest people in their lives because yeah. they would probably have a different answer I was than literally you I would thinking, for myself. My 22-year-old niece is here for the summer and she's co-opted my office. So that means there's a bed right there. She's mm -hmm. at work. And if I said, Tosh, like, what's the thing I say? She'd be like, oh, she'd have she, an answer. She'd have, she'd have an answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last question I want to ask you, in my opinion, from this from this whole list of questions that we pull from, is probably the most important question you could ever ask anyone, ever. Hmm. And that is, who or what is the greatest love of your life? Mm. As much as he drives me crazy, it has to be my husband. Like, I mean, I have a lot of things I love, like skiing or the theory and technique of modern psychoanalysis, but it's got to be that former Federal Reserve economist who's <laughs> got a master's degree in econometrics, so like he likes to trade options, and I just like like to be directional. <laughs> And it drives me sort of ever loving crazy. But I really like the fact that he understands all the I love it. gamma, delta, vega, blah, 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 it. blah, blah. <laughs> well, thank you so very much for giving of your time and carving out a piece of it in your demanding schedule to come and share a bit about yourself on this podcast. It was an honor to do this with you. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And to everyone, thank you so much for watching. We'll be back with this series again uh, at the end of the summer. Until then. Take care. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. 